Good music, good singing. Uh, you know, I used to have guys would ask me, what, what song should I play tonight? Or what are you preaching? What song should, should I plan for this week? I would just always say, big God songs. You know, just really big God songs. That's what I like. Really big God songs. I think we sang a few of those tonight. So, thank you, uh, praise team. I tend to throw the word radical around a lot in uh, my preaching and in my teaching. The term means this, to carry something to the utmost limit or extreme or to effect revolutionary change. Obviously, this word makes some uncomfortable. Uh, it's true, of course, in the modern parlance. So the word radical is most often used in a derogatory sense, um, in a negative way. For instance, Osama bin Laden is called a radical Islamist. So we understand that. But in a biblical and Christian context, the word radical is not pejorative. It's not a pejorative term. It's not a negative term. It's simply who Jesus is. You, can't, you, you cannot not read the words, the red words, in the Bible and not understand that Jesus is calling us to something radical. Unlike anything else that's on the planet. If we just read and understand our Bibles, that is... That is clear to us. The word radical is not only proper, it's perfect for Christ. It's perfect in relation to Him. He's calling us to something brand new. No man has ever called anyone to this before. To love God so radically that we would give ourselves away to Him. This is Christianity. This is New Testament. Christianity. He's talking about Jesus. If you read His words, He's talking about a revolutionary change in your heart, in your mind, and consequently in your life. He's talking about uh, loving God to the utmost limit or extreme. These, this is what Jesus talks about as we read the Gospels. Again, this makes a lot of people uncomfortable Many in Christendom today, they don't mind playing some church on Sunday, but don't ask me to do anything that makes me uncomfortable. You know, don't ask me to do anything that puts me outside my comfort zone. Beloved, read the Gospels. Jesus is always calling us out of our comfort zone. He never doesn't call us out of our comfort zones. It's true, the red words... In the Bible, if we take them to heart, they will radically change the core and rhythm of our life. Not just the way we think. Not just the way we feel. But principally the way we live. It's Jesus' radical call to His people. Jesus says, you know what He says. He says, join a church. That's what He says. Become a church member. That was the call of Jesus, right? No! Jesus said, follow me. That's the preeminent call. Follow me. He means it. You know that, right? He means for you to follow Him. He means for you to do what He says. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means. I, there's nothing wrong with being a church member. It's good to be a church member. You should be a church member. You should come to church. All of that's good. But some people have this idea that that's all it is to be a Christian, beloved. That's just the start. <laughs> that's just the beginning. 
of being a Christian. Jesus didn't come to sanctify our worldly dreams. He didn't come to be our life coach. He didn't come to be our health, wealth, and prosperity facilitator. That's not why He came. He came to redeem a people for Himself. He came with a radical intent to turn our lives upside down, or I might say right side up, in relation to God. He's called us into sold out, never look back, narrow way, self-denying, radical discipleship. And as C.S. Lewis says, there's no bargaining with him on this. This is the call of Christ. You can't bargain. You can't negotiate with God. This is the clear New Testament call of Jesus. You can be a church member without being a disciple. You just can't be a real Christian without being a disciple. I know I say it to you all the time, but I do it for good reason because all of you are passing through. Karen's the only one that won't leave me. The rest of you will leave me. They'll just, you'll just dissipate. You'll move back to your home countries. I know we have, a, we have some Italians here, so that's pretty cool. Maybe they'll hang around. But I, I want to say this to you. I say it to you because I don't want you to ever forget, and I want you, when you leave here, to find a church that preaches this, that finds a church that believes this and teaches it, and to find a church that loves you enough to keep always challenging you on your discipleship. Don't go to a church that lets you sit there and be comfortable for 20 years. That's not a biblical church. Somebody's not preaching the Word of God. If you can sit in a church for 20 years and never be challenged, I don't think it's a church. I don't think it is. So I say these things. I don't want you to ever forget. Salvation is discipleship. And sal discipleship is salvation. That's the New Testament. I know many false teachers try to make a dichotomy here. There is no dichotomy. There is no dichotomy there. So, I just wanted to say it one more time. And of course, Jesus says radical stuff like this to His disciples. Do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus says stuff like this. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. Jesus says stuff like this, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of My Father who is in heaven. The God of the Bible says stuff like, No one of you can be My disciple who does not give up all his possessions. This is how the God of the Bible speaks. It's not about church. It's about going with God. It's about going with Jesus. It's about giving your life to Jesus in a radical way. You know why, you know why the, the call is so radical? I was uh, studying, I was reading Piper some this week, and I love the way he says it. That God might be seen in your life. No matter how average your life may be, people will still be able to discern 
Jesus is in your life and you love Him supremely and you build your life around Him and His words. He fully intends to turn the lives of His people upside down. He's not the domesticated, user-friendly, business-as-usual Jesus that you hear preached in so many places. He is the classic model, quintessential, radical. He calls for revolutionary change in the hearts, minds, and lives of His people. And He calls us to love Him to the utmost limit or extreme. This is the call of God. I said all that to say this. I know some of you are going, Jim, what does that have to do with... Oops, I need this. What does that have to do with 1 Peter chapter 2? This is what it has to do with that. I said all of that to say this. In His earthly ministry, Jesus was a radical. He was the consummate radical. His message, His words, His love, His deeds, His life, they were radical. But here's what I want you to know. In His earthly ministry, Jesus was a model citizen. He was radical in a spiritual sense, which affected, obviously, all that He did in the physical realm. He was radical, but He was a model citizen. And that's what Peter's going to call us to tonight in the text. Peter's calling us to be good citizens. It's what the Lord is saying to us tonight. Some of you might say, well, Jim, that doesn't sound particularly interesting or exciting. Okay, I know some of you are thinking that. Probably. Those of you who are still awake, you're, still, you're thinking this. So we'll ask that question when we get to the end of the text. When we get to the end of the sermon, we'll come back and visit that question. Is this interesting? Is it exciting? Is it worth listening to? Does it mean anything to me? We'll find out. We'll find out when we get to the end. Lord willing, we'll find out. So as noted last week, in verses 11 through 20 of 1 Peter chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is telling us what verse 9 is supposed to look like. That's why we went back and read verse 9. It's what verse 9 is supposed to look like in our life. How a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people of God should live out their radical call of Jesus in some very practical, everyday kind of ways. Last week we talked a lot about, you can actually divide this, this section of Scripture in, in three ways. Last week we talked about being an alien. We focused on that. This week we're going to talk about being a citizen. Next week we're going to talk about being a servant. Very practical. Some very practical things that God has to say to us about how we live like a chosen race and a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation for a few days upon this planet. Last week in verses 11 and 12, Peter reminded us that we're aliens. Then he called us to live excellent lives in the world. We made the point that an excellent alien life impacts the two most urgently important issues on the planet. Anybody remember what they were? Global warming and financial crisis. Those are the two most pressing issues on the planet, right? No, not even close. Remember what we said? The two most pressing issues 
in the world today is that God is profaned and men are perishing. These are the two principal issues. The two primary, most urgently important problems on the planet. And we we concluded last week that in our excellent alien lives, Jesus is glorified. And through our excellent alien lives, men are drawn to Jesus Christ. So as you live out 1 Peter chapter 2, you are addressing, you are impacting the two most important questions on the planet. We could say in the cosmos that God is profaned and men are perishing. God tells us that we're to be aliens in the world. And then He reminds us we're also to be citizens in this world. It's important that we understand that. Yes, as we mentioned last week, our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. But it is because our ultimate citizenship is in heaven, and it's because we are God's peculiar people on this planet, that God calls us to be model citizens. For the very reason that our citizenship ultimately is not here, we are called to live in a model way while we are here. This brings glory to God. And this draws men to Jesus when they see us living. Excellent behavior as, yes, keep your behavior excellent as Peter said last week in verse 12. Of course, if you've thought very much about this text, you understand that the Holy Spirit is answering the inevitable questions that are raised by verse 9, 10, and 11. Namely, If we are indeed chosen and royal and holy and an alien people of God, are we subject to earthly authority at all? Are we above earthly authority? Because we are the chosen people of God. Are we exempt from its influence and power? Are we free to ignore human institutions and government? God sets the record straight. Verse 13 and 14. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as to the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Why would God call His chosen, royal, holy, alien people to be subject to uh, the authority of a fallen, worldly, ungodly human government? Why would God call us to do that? That's what we're going to talk about a little bit. It's Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. Let me read it to you. Many of you will know this text. Paul says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. For... It is a minister of good, pardon me, a minister of God to you for good. So what is the key point here in Romans 13, 1-4? Why do we submit to earthly authorities? Does anybody, can anybody tell me why should we do that? Because it is an extension of God's authority. God has established it. And it is an extension of His power and His authority. Verse 14, for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. God has established 
human government for these reasons. Paul says, it's a minister of God for our good. You may say, well, Jim, my government, we probably have many governments represented here, your home government, uh, you say, well, it doesn't really appear to have anything to do with God. I can't see any way that it could be a minister of good to me. I can't understand how that would work. In fact, my government is hopelessly corrupt and it abuses its authority at every turn. You say, well, I guess Peter and Paul must not have experienced bad human government. They must not know how bad human government can be. Excellent. I don't even have to say it, do I? They were persecuted by their governments, their respective governments. They wrote their books in the first century. They had seen uh, the authorities, both Roman and Jewish, commit heinous atrocities against fellow Christians. They even saw these authorities conspire to murder God incarnate. So I want you to understand this. This isn't about how good or bad your government is. It's about what God says. Okay? It's not about how you judge your human government, whatever government that is. We're all, a lot of us from different places. Right now we're under this government. It doesn't matter how good or bad it is. What matters is what God says. We will be in subjection to all human authority. This is what Christians do. This is what we do. Because this is what God says. Jesus is our ultimate example. You remember the night when they came to get Him? They came to arrest Him. The corrupt authorities came to unjustly arrest Him. You remember what happened. Peter pulled out a sword and he started to fight. Then Jesus grabbed a sword and He started to fight. Right? No. Jesus did not resist. Jesus did not resist the corrupt, unjust, evil authorities. He peacefully submitted to them. It was God submitting to the God-ordained authorities. It's not that Jesus lacked uh, the power, for you remember, He said, I could call 12 legions of angels, 36,000 to 72,000. We don't really know how big a legion was. Although he didn't really need angels. You remember what happened when they came for him and they said, we've come for Jesus. And he says, I am he. And you remember what happened? They all fell down. He knocked them down just by the power of his word. By the power of his name. It wasn't because Jesus couldn't resist. It was because he wouldn't resist. Why? It's Romans 13, 1-4. I'm going to read it to you again. Every person, including the God-man, is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. For it is a minister of God to you for good. Whoever resists authority is opposing God. Do you understand? This is why it's so important that we teach our children to respect authority. They must respect authority. They must respect us. And then go into the world and respect the authorities that God 
has set in place. Jesus would not resist earthly authority because it was an extension of His Father's authority. Many would ask, how can a corrupt government be a minister of God for good? Well, the simplest answer, the most basic fundamental answer is this. Most governments at least have maintained some semblance of, of peace and control. They, they at least prevent anarchy, right? We see some nations that, some failed states, that there's complete anarchy in those places. And the evil of men's hearts are just rampant. They're on the streets. It's a minister from God to maintain stability and to prevent anarchy. But there's always something more with God. God is always doing invisible stuff. You know this, right? You know, I'm always amused. People want, to, want me to, you know, pars. Jim, what's God doing here? I have no idea what He's doing. But I know it's good. That's the problem, man. We just got to believe it's good. Even when it's hard, we believe it's good, right? Amen? Some people do. Some people believe it. I don't know what God's doing here. I can't, he's, his ways are inscrutable. They're past finding out. I don't understand, but I know it's good. It's right there on the pages of the gospel. In this unspeakable evil that the arresting authorities were doing, what was God doing through the evil of this, these corrupt authorities? What was God doing? Someone tell me. Saving you. That's what he was doing. Jesus is our best example. Beloved, do you understand why you must submit to earthly authority? Jesus is our model. And God was doing this unbelievable thing. He was saving a people for Himself through these corrupt authorities. It's an amazing, an amazing example. Don't ever forget that example. Remember when the tax collectors asked Peter about paying the temple tax. Anybody remember what happened? Peter came and talked to Jesus about it. Jesus said, well, I'm exempt. I'm the Son of God. I don't pay the temple tax. But just so we won't offend anybody, go catch a fish, and you'll find some money in the fish, and then you go pay our temple tax, just so we won't give offense. Jesus submitted to earthly authority, even though, in the truest sense of the word, He was exempt. You may remember the Pharisees asked Jesus about paying taxes to Caesar. What did Jesus say? Whose image is on the coin? Render unto Caesar what is Caesar. Submit to earthly authority. Yes, Rome is corrupt. Submit to earthly authority. Beloved, this is what Christians do. I know. Some of us don't like it. You know, it's natural human nature to chafe at authority. You can see it in your six-month-old child. Maybe that's too young. I don't know. It's been a long time. But you can see it in the child. They chafe at authority, and so do we. We hide it much better. But so do we. You remember, well, let me just go back to Romans 13, 6, and 7. Regarding taxes, God says this. If you have, any, if you have a problem paying your taxes, here's what God says, okay? That's what He says. It is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake, subjection to the government. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due to them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom is due. Fear to whom fear is due. And honor to whom honor is due. 
So why does the Christian ultimately submit to these earthly authorities? It's right there. It's in verse 13. Can someone tell me why we do it? Why do we do it? Is it because uh, we have such high regard for the government authorities and the politicians? Do we, is it because we agree with everything they do? Is it because we're so patriotic? Why does the Christian subject himself to the uh, governmental authorities? What does it say right there in the verse? We do it for God's sake. It's for God's sake. It doesn't matter how corrupt the government is. We do it for God's sake. That's why we do it. Of course, that's why we do almost anything, according to the Apostle Paul. Whether you eat or drink, let it be for the glory of God. I've got huge problems with my government. I've got huge problems with some of their policies. I have... I have I find them objectionable in the greatest, strongest terms. But God says, submit to the authorities, to the government authorities. So, as Christians, that's who we are in here. We pay our taxes, we drive the speed limit, we recycle our trash. I hate that. You know, back in Little Rock, you didn't have to recycle your trash, man. We have these big old, we just got all the land in the world. You just throw it out there, right? But Karen says, man, that goes in the plastic. I hate that. But we recycle our trash. We wear our seatbelts. We submit our permissive documents for the Lord's sake. Yes? It's for the Lord's sake. I spent Monday and half of Tuesday working on our permissive renewals. And then I studied this text and I had to repent because <laughs> I was not happy Monday and Tuesday as I worked on this stuff. You know what it should have been? I make my confession to you, but what it should have been was worship. It should have been worship. God, I do this for your sake. I do this for your honor. I do this for your glory. This is the way it is. For the Christian, the New Testament Christian. So we keep the government's laws because it pleases our God. This radical kind of citizenship, it's part of an excellent alien life. And as I said to you earlier, we chafe at authority. So when Christians are seen to submit to authority, it's another way that the unbeliever sees God in us, beloved. This is kind of a supernatural thing. And we're going to see next week, even when we're wronged, we submit. We'll see that next week. This is a supernatural thing. People are supposed to see God in our lives as we submit to governmental authority. It may be wrong. It may be corrupt. In some ways, but in the way that they're... The government is asking, if it's not illegal or immoral or against God's Word, I'm to submit to the authority of the government. So which institution do we submit to? Someone tell me from the text. We get to pick and choose, right? Whichever one we want to submit to. Well, this one's a good, I like this guy, I'll submit to this guy. I'm not going to submit to that rule. I don't like that rule. I'm not going to do that. What does the text say? We're to submit to what? Every. That covers it, right? Every, every institution who has authority over you, you are to submit to. This is what the Bible 
teaches. So this raises the obvious question. I touched on it just a moment ago. What if the government instructs me to do something contrary to God's Word? What do we do then? What does the Bible teach us? You remember when Pharaoh ordered the midwives to ensure the death of every male Hebrew child? Did they do it? You remember? The Bible says, but the midwives feared God and ignored Pharaoh. This is an example for us. You remember when the Jewish spies came into Jericho. You remember Rahab not only hid the spies, she misdirected the king's soldiers. She did this for the greater good of what God was doing. She made the Hall of Fame of Faith. Hebrews 11. You may remember when the Pharisees told Peter and John to stop preaching about Jesus Christ, Peter said we must obey God rather than men. So listen, when your government tells you to do something that's obviously contrary to the Word of God, you do what Peter and John did. We must obey God rather than men. But here's what you have to be ready for. The same thing John and Peter were ready for. In the sovereign providence of God, you have to be ready to pay the price when the government lands on you for not keeping the law. We know Peter and John were, were beaten for not doing what the Pharisees had told them to do. So I want to say that again. When government directives are clearly contrary to what God has said to us, we obey God rather than men. But then... Under the sovereign providence of God, we must submit to whatever punishment the government meets out to us. You say, Jim, that's hard. I know it's hard. Wait till next week. Wait till next week. It's going to get uh, even more of a, become more of a challenge. You never see the prophets or the apostles resisting arrest, even when it's unjust. In fact, we see the opposite. The Pharisees flogged Peter and John, and does anybody remember? They rejoiced. It's very good. Very close. <laughs> Same thing. They rejoiced. They'd been counted worthy. They didn't resist. And they were unjustly flogged or beaten or whipped. They rejoiced. You remember what happened with Paul and Barnabas in Philippi? You remember when they were uh, taken and Arrested, beaten, imprisoned, and put in stocks. They not only didn't resist, long about midnight they had a revival and they started singing and praising God and then God showed up. And the whole jail shook and then people got saved. Do you understand? Do you see? Do you see? What a great example. Do you see? It's unjust. What happened to Paul and Barnabas? It's, it's unspeakably unjust. But they praise God. God comes. <laughs> People get saved. We're back to impacting the two most pressing problems in the cosmos. God is profaned and men are perishing. You impact that when you submit to earthly authority. This is what the Bible is teaching us tonight. Verse 15, For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. By our excellent alien lives, by doing right, by being a model citizen, by being a good earthly citizen, we silence the ignorance of fools. This is God's way to silence fools. You say, Jim, it's not working in my life. I've got some people in my life and they won't shut up. 
You just keep living an excellent life. You just keep living an excellent life before them, an excellent alien model citizen life. This is the Word of God. Jim, that's, that's hard. I know it's hard. Hey, if it was easy, anybody could do it. God's calling you to do it. You are His people. And He's empowered you and given you what you need. You not only have His Word, you have His Spirit living within you. I want to say this. The quality of our lives are our best arguments for the Gospel. You know that, right? The quality of your life is the best argument you have for the validity of the Gospel. I hope you know that. Not only that, the quality of your life is your best evangelism. Of course, we speak truth. We need to speak truth. But beloved, it's important, maybe more so, that we live the truth. We have to live the truth. It's our argument. It's our evangelism. This is what we see in Scripture. And see, you thought this text wasn't going to be exciting. I don't know about you, but I've got a whole new view on my permissal renewal for <laughs> next time. It's an opportunity to worship. It's an opportunity to love God. You know, we just think about things wrong. I do. Maybe, maybe you're all spiritual and all that stuff, but... You know, I just sometimes come at it wrong. And man, I've just learned a great lesson. What a perfect, it was perfect for me to preach this sermon right after I spent a day and a half on my permissos. Because I was not happy. And I see I missed an opportunity to worship the Lord. Verse 16, act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God, born again, as born-again children of God, we are free. We are free. We're the only truly free men and women on the planet. We really are. We're free not to do, uh, not only to do, not to do what's wrong, we're free to do what's right. We're free to do what's right. This is what God is calling us to. This is the freedom that we have in Christ. We are free from false religion. We are no longer deceived. We are free from pseudo-Christianity. We don't, yeah, we don't have anything to do with people who add to this or take away from this. We, that's pseudo-Christianity. We do this. We're free to submit to God and His Word. We're free from Satan's power and his blinding lies. We're free to fight the sin in our lives, not just lay down and give up. As Christians, we have the tools to fight the sin in our life. We have the freedom to escape judgment and condemnation. In hell, we are free to, to live fearless and abundant and faith-filled, God-sized lives in the world. What I challenge you to do almost every week. We are free to love selflessly. We are free to give sacrificially. We are free to obey God with glad, reckless joy. And I could go on and on and on and on. Beloved, you are free. You have no constraints except your own unbelief. There'll be no excuse before the, uh, before the Bema seat. There'll be no excuse. Well, God, I, uh, no. 
God has given us everything we need. Everything we need and more. We are free to be radical Christians. We are free <laughs> to be model citizens. We are free to do our permissos in a spirit of worship. I didn't know that Monday. I should have known it, but I did not appropriate it. And we are not free to abuse our liberty, as the text says. We do not turn our freedom into license to live any way we want. We employ our freedom to make much of Jesus as we submit to earthly authority. We don't submit because we are constrained to, we submit because we love Christ. This is why we submit. And we are, as the text says, we are bond slaves of God. I always love that term. Paul uses it many times, talking about himself. What is a bond slave? It's one who voluntarily attaches themselves to a master. We are slaves uh, by choice. We love Him. <laughs> you know, It's because we love Him. I'm not keeping rules. I'm not doing religion. It's not about dogma. It's about the beauty and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. And I love Him. And I will obey Him. And when I fail to obey Him as I should, I will repent. I will confess. And He will wash me clean by the sufficiency of His grace and mercy through His finished work on the cross. So we joyfully, gladly, happily give ourselves to Jesus and we submit to all earthly authority. Verse 17, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the King. It raises the question, obviously, how can we uh, honor men who are not honorable? And how can we honor men who sometimes do heinous things in the world? How are we to honor them? I love what John Piper says. You have to find a way to find a way. We find what they do objectionable. We disagree with what they say. We hate. We hate sometimes the things they do. But we do not abuse them in their humanity. We do not abuse them in speech or physically. Why? What's the principal, uh, the principal reason in this? Is because they are created, someone tell me, in the image of God. So we can honor men who are not honorable. We find a way. If it's just biting your tongue, bite your tongue. And certainly do not strike the man. Unless it's in self-defense or he's attacking your family, coming after your family. Beloved, find a way. If it, and again, if it's just by shutting up, shut up. Honor all men. Why? It pleases God. It pleases God. Secondly, we're to love the brotherhood, meaning our fellow believers. Jesus said we are to love one another. How are we to love one another? Anybody remember what Jesus said? You've got to know this verse. Pardon me? Okay, that's one way. There's a higher way. As Christ. You're to love one another. Jesus says, as I loved you. Do you? That's the call. That's the bar. That's where the bar is. 
You remember what Jesus said? He said, the world will know you're mine when you love like this. <laughs> Again, you know, our lives are supposed to be excellent so the world knows who we belong to. So, we get that. We are to love the brethren. Thirdly, we're to fear God. We covered this in detail back in November, uh, back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, so we won't develop that truth again. If you missed that sermon, you, need to, you owe it to yourself to go back and download from the podcast site 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, the sermon that includes verse 17, because it's astonishing. The blessings, the blessings uh, that flow from practicing the fear of God. It's the, the biblical promises to those who practice the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. It's just breathtaking. The, the men, uh, this week in Bible study, we hit on this. It's just astonishing. If you've never cataloged what God says, are the blessings and rewards of practicing the fear of the Lord. You owe it to yourself. Go listen to that sermon if you would like. Lastly, honor the king. So we're back where we started. Verse 13. Honor human authority. I want to go back where I started. Jesus was the most radical person, in one sense, the most radical person who ever walked this planet. No one like him has ever walked this planet. And he was a radical. But he wasn't only a radical. He was a model citizen. And this is what we are called to do. He calls for revolutionary change in our hearts, minds, and lives. And He calls us to love God to the utmost limit or extreme. And then He says, you go be a good citizen. You live an excellent alien life. That God may be glorified and men may be saved. Believe That's what it's all about. That's we're making our, our way through this, this text here. That's what it means to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us out of the darkness and into the light. For in our excellent worldly citizenship, Jesus Christ will be glorified. You probably won't ever know who observed your excellent citizenship. You may not ever know. And how God used your conduct, submitting to earthly authority, humbly, somebody saw it. Maybe it was a member of your own household. Maybe it was your child. And God used that to draw that soul to Himself. <coughs> and through our excellent worldly citizenship, again, God will be seen. And you thought this text wasn't going to be exciting. Beloved, just do the Word of God and you are caught up in the great kingdom work of God. You will be part of God's bringing God glory. You will be part of the redemption of His people. To me, it doesn't get any more interesting and exciting than that. So next time I work on my permiso, I'm going to think about that. And when I go down to the questura, I hate going down there. But I'm going to get up that morning and I'm going to praise God. I'm going to say, Karen, we're praising God. She'll say, why? We're going down there. I don't like going down there. If you've never been down there, it's not the best place ever. But you know, <laughs> you know, 
God says, submit to every earthly authority. I pray that we will take His Word seriously. Let's pray together. I think it's almost counterintuitive that you would call us to be such radicals on the planet and yet be model citizens. I, I'm not sure that anyone would put those two together, but you have put them together. We are the chosen holy race of God, a peculiar people on the planet. We are indeed aliens and strangers. And yet you've called us to be model citizens. That we would submit to all earthly authority because it is an extension of your authority. So we happily submit, Lord, to all earthly authority. I pray that you would help me and maybe others in this room who struggle with this at times. Lord, I pray that we would have the right spirit about it I would pray, I pray that we would see that it honors you, that it brings glory to you, and that in some way you use it for our evangelism and apologetics. So Lord, help us in this, I pray. Help us in this, I pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.